The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to discuss the market and opportunities for bootstrap MarTech companies. Joining us is Steve Reardon, who is the CEO of ASG MarTech, which is a unique software business that buys, builds, and operates market-leading vertical SaaS companies. Today, Steve is going to tell us about why his company is focused on helping bootstrap companies thrive and survive. Okay, here is our interview with Steve Reardon, CEO of ASG MarTech. Steve, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Well, thanks very much for having me, uh, Ben. It's a pleasure to be here. It's exciting to talk to you. And I have to tell you, recently, there was some news coming from your company about you acquiring a whole suite of bootstrapped MarTech companies. And when that PR went out, I had a couple of people in my personal network reach out and say, oh, MarTech, that's a thing. Look, I saw it on the news. Do you know these guys? So I had to reach out to you and ask you to be on the podcast because everybody thought that we should be connected. Well, great. I'm excited to get connected. Absolutely. So let's start off by you telling us a little bit about your yourself, your background, and the company that you work for. So I work for a business called Alpine Software Group, ASG. We have a subgrouping of businesses called ASG MarTech. And as you rightly point out, we've done a number of acquisitions, I guess, over the last 18 months. So just over a year ago, we acquired a business called Grade Us. Over the period between November and January, we expanded our MarTech portfolio to include Businesses like Reputology, Reputation Loop, Social Report, Authority Labs, SERPs, and Scythe. So we've acquired a number of these businesses. I come from a very general management background, obviously originally from South Africa. I've been in the States a number of years, and I've been very much in the recurring revenue space. And MarTech is an area that piqued our interest with our acquisition of Gradus last year. So let's take a step back for a second here. There's the larger company, I believe it's Alpine, that is, from what I understand, a private equity company. For the people that are, you know, us marketers that don't necessarily understand all the logistics of the various capital markets and financing, what is a private equity company? Private equity is an investment vehicle that brings together investors and basically buys up privately held companies or delists public companies and runs them for profit for some number of years. 
The principle being that through a portfolio of best practices, an experienced bench of managers, leveraging of debt, and a number of other things that private equity have done over the years, they believe that they can essentially take businesses and grow them a little more than the current management would be doing. What's interesting about Alpine, and specifically Alpine Software Group, which is a piece of Alpine, is we benefited from, I guess, what we think of as like SaaS 2.0, which is this rise of professional, relatively profitable, high-growth, bootstrapped, founder-led businesses. And our thesis is really to get involved in that space and help these bootstrapped founders and these businesses take it to the next level. So for somebody like me who has worked at multiple early stage venture back startups, the dream is always we're going to work at this company. We're all going to have a fair amount of equity put in our sweat equity to balance deferred compensation. And hopefully our ship comes in with an exit of some sort down the road, right? We're looking five to 10 years down the road. I worked at this early stage startup. It blew up. It became the next Uber. And I think often people think, okay, the company is going to IPO and that's what the exit is going to be. In reality, a much more likely option is for a successful company to become profitable and go down the private equity route, which means that it's still going to be privately held, but there is going to be an acquisition event, which allows people like the founders and the early investors to gain some value out of the asset that they've invested in. Am I thinking about this the right way? I think that's right. I mean, I think we get involved in a business's life cycle that's slightly advanced beyond the early stage venture years. So as businesses achieve profitability, which is important for us in terms of the way we structure these deals, usually with some significant portion of debt, we're able to acquire these businesses. And then these businesses give, as you say, liquidity to the founders and the early stage employees and allow them some kind of liquidation of it. We then go on and have the same range of exit opportunities further down the line, including potentially selling to larger private equity firms, taking our business to IPO, finding a strategic buyer down the line that might be interested in it, and everything else that's kind of available at the time. So help me understand why you're focused on finding bootstrap companies, founder-led companies, as opposed to the venture-backed companies. It's a good question. And we're not necessarily anti-venture-backed businesses. We just see a much higher supply of profitability in the bootstrap founder-led space. And principally, this comes from, I guess, the mindset of how these things become interesting to private equity businesses. The bootstrap founders tend to want to achieve profitability a little earlier than the venture businesses. They tend to be in slightly better shape because their growth vectors have been a little bit more controlled. Their costs have been a little bit more controlled. So that's super important for us. You know, we often find if you find venture businesses that maybe haven't hit quite that J curve that their investors would like, they've usually taken on a lot of personnel, a lot of costs, and you end up in a little bit more of a turnaround situation. What we find with our bootstrap founders is often they've been relatively responsible managing their capital and managing their costs. And as a result of that, what is the most interesting thing for us is they've had to be smarter in terms of the amount of the market that they've captured. Very hard for a bootstrap business to go and in a winner-takes-all market compete with some of these large venture-backed players. So very hard to have a bootstrap business in the Uber Lyft world. But what our founders tend to find is they tend to find these generalist solutions and then they find a way of verticalizing them. 
And the verticalization is key for us because that gives us a mode of defensibility against some of the large venture-backed growth that are in our industry. So give me an example of what you mean about verticalization. So a generic example would be like, if you wanted to go into the CRM industry, you wouldn't want to compete against Salesforce because they're the 800-pound gorilla in the room. I don't know if there are too many good lessons in life, but competing against the guy who has the tallest building in San Francisco is generally a bad idea. So <laughs> I'm not going to say what that building looks like. Right. Well, each to his own, but it's pretty tall. <laughs> so what you would want to do then is you'd want to say, okay, cool. So I have this idea for a CRM software and I have some other thing that would be interesting. So I think about lawyers and CRM. I think about client intake. I think about lead generation for lawyers. I think about everything to do with lawyers because I have some kind of specialist expertise. You know, we often find founders whose wives are lawyers or parents are lawyers or have a best buddy who's a lawyer. And they're like, hey, this solution doesn't exist particularly well in the legal market. And they go and create a legal specific solution for that. Now, what that gives a founder is it gives the founder defensibility against these large players because Salesforce is not necessarily going to go and retool their entire operation to add every single thing that a lawyer might need. And they're also not going to get really, really good at selling to law firms. But you as a bootstrap founder just might. You might find a way to go to every legal conference you can find, hook into all the AMLO 100s, everyone you can figure out. And you can both focus on a customer segment that you're interested in and develop a product with that customer in mind that makes your product appealing to that segment beyond a generic solution. Can I tell you a secret? Tell me. I've had an idea that's a verticalized solution. I don't want anybody to know about it. And if anybody else is listening, please don't steal this idea. But I've been an independent marketing consultant for three years. And one of the things that I've realized is that there are lots of people that want to go out and start their own business, leave their job, and based on their personal network, be able to build a book of business. And part of being successful as a freelance consultant, as an independent person, is understanding the stages of your funnel. So I wanted to build a verticalized CRM for freelance marketing consultants or freelance consultants. Please don't tell anybody about it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not like we're on a public show that anyone would hear that filled with marketing consultants. I'm sure you're fine. All right. I guess the secret's out there. Anybody that needs help setting up their freelance consulting business, give me a call. <laughs> Time for a one minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. 
A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. That aside, talk to me about some of the themes that you see when you're working with bootstrap companies that are founder-led. What are some of the common themes that let you know that it is going to be a successful company? Are there business metrics? Are there traits of the founders? How do you do your pattern matching to understand who's going to be a success? So I will say that I see a wide range of founders with various different personality types. I mean, I think that the things that you would obviously imagine come to mind, like hardworking, usually very intelligent, self-starting, driven, etc. Those, I think, are just table stakes for these founders that have a strong success. I also think that focus is important. So I think that in these bootstrap ways, where I see people getting into real trouble is when they overreach the initial aspirations of the business. As I say, we like tight, concrete, vertical solutions that have a clearly addressable market. And you often find, I sometimes find these founders that are trying to broaden their product make it accessible for everyone, want to become the Uber of X or the Salesforce of Y. And that always gives me some pause. So it's almost like understanding your ambition and where you want to play is a huge attribute of that. And then the things that we think of as good executives and product engineers and every part of these business makes sense. I think people that are customer-led tend to win, obviously. I think people that find a way to understand their data in a really deep way. That's sometimes a failing of founder-led customers, but actually understanding where your recurring revenue is coming from, what your churn numbers are, and figuring that out is a big deal. And then just having the ability to inspire and lead a team. Often when we get to exits, we find founders that are struggling to take that next step of scaling their team and managing a larger professional software organization. You totally led me into what my next question was going to be, which is where do bootstrapped founders tend to reach their ceiling? You're right. I mean, that's a perfect lead. And I think they, in a lot of instances, we see people that are great product people, great engineers, great technical founders. And because they've been bootstrapped, they haven't had the benefit of a strong board or a venture-backed organization behind them, mentors, people around them to kind of guide them coach them, and maybe build them into being a professional executive. So some guys get really lucky. Some people are just really lucky out of the box that they have a lot of these traits. Some people get some formal education. But a lot of the times we see folks running up against kind of just the professionalization of an organization. You know, How do you run a sales org? Do I have BDRs doing outreach? Should I be doing an inbound funnel? What are the metrics I should be using? What do I need to do on outbound marketing? What application should I be using to run the business intelligence of the business? And those things tend to trip up founders. And in a lot of ways, I think the best founders and the best exits and outcomes I've seen in this space are founders that have a deep level of self-knowledge of their own limitations. Because ultimately, what you want is you want to go and do the thing that you're great at. So we often have founders that will transition into a chief product role or a CTO role post-acquisition or we'll go and start a new business. And you know, a lot of our founders are like, hey, I'm good at building products, coming up with the ideas, getting MVPs into market, getting initial customers. 
I don't really want to run a 100-person software organization. That's just not a thing I think I will be good at. And those people tend to be very successful in my experience. So I have to double back and with the realization that this is the MarTech podcast, as much as I want to hear you talking me out of why I should stop calling my company the Netflix of the MarTech community. <laughs> well, I like you being the Netflix of the MarTech space. I don't like you being the Netflix of the Netflix space. No, I think that's already done. It's called Netflix. Right. <laughs> well, talk to me about the MarTech space and, and why you're finding such a rich pool of bootstrapped founder-led companies. I think the first thing that we're learning about the space is there is a universe of MarTech products and solutions and people that use MarTech products and solutions, but there are a bunch of vertical niches within that. And we've been spending a lot of time trying to understand who are the people at SMBs that use this? Who uses this in a franchise world? What do small and medium digital agencies look like? What do large search agencies look like? What do enterprise SEO teams look like? And what we get excited about is when you see a number of these verticalized solutions inside actually what is already a really large vertical, you have the opportunity to both bundle products and find point solutions that work inside of these verticals. Because truthfully, the solution, the price point, the everything that works for a small digital agency or a solopreneur or an SMB is not the same thing that works for a large enterprise kind of search agency. So I think that's probably a big part of why we're seeing a lot of these things. The other part of this is obviously it's a market that's continuing to grow. It's been growing all the way since the advent of the internet. We're seeing a second round of interesting developments happening in the space. We got heavily involved in the reviews and rating space, and that's just something that continues to grow and continues to get more and more important. As Google changes the ecosystem through the algorithm changes, it forces people to get more and more creative and adaptive. And as a result, we just see a real plethora of solutions out there and a number of potential businesses that we think are interesting to get involved with. You mentioned that there's reviews as an example of the type of businesses that you think are likely to have some founder-led companies, a place that you've been investing in. What are some other areas of focus? You mentioned SEO. Are there other tools that haven't had the 800-pound gorilla just suck all the oxygen out of the room? I think there are. And I also think there are some where the 800-pound gorillas are under some threat. One of the ones I'm particularly interested in at the moment, and I mean, now already I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom, but I suppose you told me your business idea. We'll keep it a secret. I'm really interested in this kind of DIY business intelligence dashboarding space. And I think as people have become more data literate in their businesses, and as you're getting more and more young people who have just grown up conceptually understanding data, having a feel for code and just engineering more broadly, I think you're going to see companies like Power BI and Tableau and some of these larger enterprise kind of BI tools being put under a lot of pressure by people who can kind of do it themselves. We're already seeing the emergence of things like Google Data Studio become very powerful and people being able to manage their own data on their behalf. So we got involved in Scythe for the same way. It's almost this bootstrap BI environment, putting some of the larger players under pressure, especially when those players are quite expensive. So we care about that space a lot. I think paid is an area where we're going to see more and more innovation. It's not a space that we're involved in right now. SEO is continuing to evolve as Google moves and changes their algorithm around a lot. That's having some real consequences on people. Content strategies are a big piece. 
I see a lot of innovation and movement in all of these spaces. And that's why we're trying to cover a lot of bases. I guess there's two spaces that come up to mind in the MarTech and the advertising space, the digital advertising space. One is the notion of personalization, right? The idea that people don't want to be advertised to. And so you're seeing the rise of more marketing automation and more influencer-driven, content-driven marketing. Have you seen any interesting things in that space? We haven't seen anything come up that I think has solved that problem or is adding a ton of energy in that space. I think your thesis is 100% right, though, in that how do you create personalized solutions for people? How do you bring influences to the fore? Advertising in general and ad tech in general is not something that we've been involved in because it's just a landscape that I don't understand well enough yet. So I think your thesis is right. I don't have anything particular that I think is standing out of that space at the moment. The other vertical I wanted to ask you about, and this is selfish because I work in this space, but how do you feel about the content space focused on MarTech and on marketing? I think the future is content. So I think that if Google has taught us anything last year is that they were going to continue to double down on authority, relevance, and content being graded to a very, very fine degree. So I think the world of content is going to grow. I think people who are getting good at content are going to be the marketing heroes of tomorrow. What I have not seen, and this is partially because Google is pushing this, is really good software solutions that allow people to automate that or make that easier. Now, we're invested in social report, which allows people to schedule content on social platforms. But the principal idea of how do you make it easy for people to create relevant content like I still don't know how one does that other than it's still a job that has to be done by a human brain. So if you're looking for a career to go into that the machines will be the last ones to take over, this might be one of the last ones. Yeah, the thing that I've seen in that space, and I'll throw out that this company is a consulting client of mine, but there are tools like Search Metrics. They have a content experience where it not only helps you understand what content is likely to rank for the keyword set that you want, but as you're producing the content, it helps you understand what keywords you need to include to help it rank. And so I do think people are still going to be the writers of content, but there is the machine learning component that's going to help you optimize your content before it's published. And that's a space that I think is being developed. Now, I'll preface this with, they're not a founder-led or a bootstrap company, but that is where that space is heading. I think that's right. I mean, we, we a client of ours is a, a business called SEO Clarity, and they are spending a lot of their time. We're seeing a lot in the SEO space about how do you grade content and how do you give practitioners of content writing some tips and tricks and strategies around actually developing the content. So I think that that's right. Interesting. Well, Steve, we can talk about this all day long, and I do want to learn a little bit more about the acquisition process, but let's table that and let's finish this conversation up tomorrow. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Steve Reardon, the CEO at ASG MarTech, for joining us. In part two of this interview, which we're going to publish tomorrow, Steve is going to give us his views on acquisition and consolidation in the MarTech space. And if you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Steve, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can send him a tweet at Stephen Reardon, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-R-E-A-R-D-O-N. Or you can visit his company's website, which is alpinesg.com, A-L-P-I-N-E-S-G.com. A couple of links in our show notes that I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, don't worry about it. We've got you covered. Just head over to martechpod.com, where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. 
If you're a subscriber to the MarTech Podcast, thanks for being a member of our community. We always want to hear from you, so we created benjshap.com slash question, where you can send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. My handle is benjshap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, in addition to part two of our conversation with Steve Reardon, the CEO of ASG MarTech, we're going to publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. And if you prefer to have our content delivered to your inbox, we also have a once a week newsletter with links to our audio players, episode summaries, and the contact information for our guests. To subscribe, go to benjshap.com newsletter. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.